church, which was then in a little building at that end of the car park, a smaller building, let's say. Uh, he just unilaterally befriended me. I was an incomer coming into Harlow to plant a church of New Frontiers, and a lot of, some people weren't really happy about, about that. And, but Rob just was moved by God to just become my friend. Well, along with him came Femi as my friend too. <laughs> so, so he... <laughs> We, we got to know each other as well. And then uh, just before, in 2008, a year or two before we kind of, Carol and I and others, came into uh, what was then Kingswell Com Community Church, and we then regrouped and became Lighthouse beginning in 2009, Margaret and Femi moved to North Wales. How long have you been in North Wales now? Is it 10 years? 10 years. 10 years, right. I guess it was 10 years. Two, so it's 2007 they moved up to... North Wales. I, I should have looked up the place name again and shown off that I can pronounce it, but never mind. Um, <laughs> what is it? I thought it was Pennycross. Yes. Okay. So they've been in North Wales in a very, quite a small town, really. Um, it's a village, yes. <laughs> and uh, so. Uh, quite a small place, but God's with them there and helping them there, and we want to welcome him as a friend and a brother, as someone who served alongside Rob as an elder and associate pastor for quite a few years here in Harlow. We welcome him back and receive him amongst us today. Let's welcome Femi. Okay, good. Yes. You know, I, well, you may not know, I do get excited sometimes, so <laughs> watch out for the peaks on that microphone. But today is supposed to be more of a teaching, teaching exercise, um, a little bit of Bible study, try and fit it all into 45 minutes. Um, I've tried to compact as much as possible. So, well, it's good to be back. It's good to be here. I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. To, to come and say something uh, um, in the house that I once belonged and still kind of have an affinity to and uh, always think about. You can't erase that much period of your life. You really can't. You can't. 18 years. <laughs> you can't. Both of my kids were born here and uh, they called themselves, they say, away from Arlo. They say, away from Arlo. We're now from Nigeria. We're from Arlo. So. You can't erase that, and that's beautiful. So, Father God, thank you for bringing us back here. Thank you for our fellowship together. Thank you for our friendship. Thank you for David and Carol and for the work they've been doing here, the plowing, the, the watering, and all those that have been helping them. Thank you for this house that you yourself established so long ago and the destiny that you have for it. Thank you for all the faithful in the house. And for all those who were new and, and gaining and, and, and putting down roots in this house. Blessed Father, we ask you that you will speak to us this morning. We ask you that you will open our eyes, open our ears, even our hearts to hear you, O oh God. Father, yes, I have prepared. Um, but I'm asking you that you will do the work that you said your spirit will do. He will teach us all things. He will lead us into all the truth. So we commit and commend ourselves to your God in the name, in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, it's good to be here. It is really good to be here. I see many faces that I recognize. Um, some have um, remained the same, some not so much. But, but then, <laughs> if you look at my photographs as well, I think I've changed a little bit. In fact, I was looking at a photograph uh, a few days ago that I took in my early days in Wales, and there was maybe one single strand of white in my beard. <laughs> and now it's like I dipped myself in a <laughs> tank of paint or something. But there you go. I love it. And here we are. I wear it proudly. So I want to talk to you this, this morning. I want, I want us to consider um, stewardship. Stewardship and, uh, and New Testament giving. Stewardship 
of our material possessions. Okay? I want us to look at this. It's, it can be a fairly sensitive subject in many churches, in many situations. And so I thought, hey, what the heck? I come from here, so what are they going to do to me? Uh, you know, you've given me the podium, so I'm going to say something. And then um, yeah, I might come back. I may never come back. There you go. Uh, so we're just going to look at this together. Now that I've seen everybody with my glasses, I can take these off. Can't read with them. I've just gone for very focals, and they'll be fitting me next week. Well, three weeks' time. Okay, so before I get into the meat of this message, let me say that some things, a little bit of a, a caveat here. Not caveat, just, just a, to, to um, bring some balance to something. First of all, some things that I might say. Now, when we consider biblical parables, and we're looking at a couple of uh, two or three parables this morning, when we look at parables, okay, and uh, allegories from the Bible, you can only push the analogy so far before it breaks down, right? Yeah? Uh, you can only push it so far. So, for instance, I'll give you one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And all this business, the Lord is my shepherd, is my shepherd. And we only really think about the good part of the shepherd, don't we? <laughs> but, you see, I live in a, she in, in a farming community. I know what the shepherds do with sheep. <laughs> okay, it's not a hobby. Right, they, uh, yeah, just work it out before I upset somebody here. Okay? So, but we, we, we take the aspect of him guiding us, leading us, securing us, protecting us, and we, we embrace that. And what he hasn't said about the shepherding, we leave out of the analogy. Right? For a purpose. He, he leaves those parts out for a purpose. Okay, so we'll consider a couple of parables this morning. And we're not going to push the analogy too far because then we will run into problems. Okay, right. So let's move on then. Parable of talents and pounds. you find this in Matthew 25 and Luke 19. Okay, you don't have to open to these just yet. Let the ones we'll open to, we'll, we'll come to them later. In uh, Matthew 25, you find the parable of talents, and in Luke chapter 19, you find the parable of the pounds. In the talents, he gave them unequal measure of talents, right? He gave one, three, and five. In the pounds, he gave them one each, okay? Now, in the talents, it says he gave to them according to their abilities, according to their innate abilities, which he gave them in the first place anyway. Okay? So, according to their abilities. So, you and I are not going to be responsible for exactly the same things because we're not created for exactly the same things. However, we will be judged in the same way for the things we're responsible for. Right? Okay. In the parable of the pounds, he gave them one each. And yet, some did better than others. But the point of this parable really is to say to us, which I'm also saying this morning, each one of us has been given something. And I don't think it's a, an entire coincidence that he uses examples of material possessions in these parables. He could have talked about some spiritual gift, which is very capable of talking about. But he uses pounds, material possessions. He uses talents, material possession. Actually, talents is not what it's become in modern speak, in general speak these days. Talents these days is like, you know, you send boats, you know, until you break down, of course, and come bronze. <laughs> I love Jamaicans. <laughs> Look. If, you, if this was some other environment, we'd have group banter. Don't worry. Me and Jamaicans, I love them. They can run real good. You, I might as well get in. Might as well be home for a sheep as for a lamb. So, do you, do you know why Jamaicans can run that fast? Because they were the last on the boat. <laughs> Work that out later. 
Don't worry. So, um, talents had nothing to do with that. Talents actually in the biblical context was money. It was actual wages. It was money. Yeah. So, he uses these examples to give, to give us an idea of what he's talking about. So, everybody's been given something. The pounds show that. Everybody gets something. Then the talents show that everybody gets something in different measures. But the equal thing with both of them is that they were both supposed to trade with these things and supposed to both yield profit with these things. Every material thing that we have been given, we have responsibility for to trade with to invest in such a manner as to multiply it and to make it good. Even Adam was given a perfect, perfect garden to start with. And God said to him, look after this and make it do better. Hello. God is always looking for us to make the things that he gives us do better. That's why we maintain our properties. That's why we don't let things fall apart, including our bodies, material possessions. If the least you can do is, you know, 20 steps a day, do it. Don't just sit down. Make your body work for you. Okay, so this parable shows us this. Now let's look at the third parable, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Look at the third parable here. Now, let's read this one. In most Bibles, it's titled, The Unrighteous Steward. That's what it says in mine. What an unfortunate guy. Because if you read the, the story closely, which I tend to do, actually, there was no proof that this guy was unrighteous. He was accused. How would you like to be called what you're accused of without proof? He was accused of it. His master did something about it, then he did something about it. Now let's read it, rather than me talking you through it. Verse 1, now he was also saying to the disciples, this is Jesus talking, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, for you can... No longer be manager. The manager said to him, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know, I know what I shall do so that when I am removed, I want you to note that word, removed. It's the same word literally that is translated as metastasized. Okay, when a cancer, for instance, metastasizes from one part to another, something is removed, it goes from one realm to another. Okay, removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. And he summoned each one of his master's debtors, and he began saying to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager. It says there again. Or, more literally, the manager of unrighteous mammon. You can go check it out. Okay, That's how it should have been translated. The manager of unrighteous mammon. So don't get too twisted about, you know, if it was righteous or not. Let's just learn some lessons. I, I, I like to drop one or two things as I speak. Okay. The master praised him because he had acted shrewdly for the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And verse 9, and I say to you, this is the key word. This is the, what you might call the punchline, right? I say to you, make friends for yourselves by the means of the wealth of unrighteousness. So that when it fails, when your material possessions fail, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Okay, you see a little switch there. 
suddenly we're talking about eternal dwellings. We weren't in eternal situation just in the parable. But now the kick word says eternal dwellings. When your material possessions fail, they will receive you into your eternal dwellings because our material possessions will fail one day. I mean, we pray for people and we pray hard and God answers prayers, but one day he's not going to answer them. And somebody dear and loved will leave. I lost my dad a few months ago. I buried him in June. We prayed, we prayed hard, and he seemed to recover. And then God actually showed me a few weeks before then that he was going to die. And I stopped praying. <laughs> I just prayed. I just said, Lord, make it, make it easy. Make it comfortable. Make it easy. And he went very easily. There comes a day when all material possessions, including every scanner, every medicine, every medical intervention is going to fail. Then you're going to need that. To know about your eternal habitations. Verse 10. He who is faithful in a very little thing. Is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing. Is unrighteous also in much. Therefore. If you have not been faithful. In the use of unrighteous wealth. Who will entrust the true riches to you. And if you have not been faithful. In the use of that. Which is another's. Who will give you that. Which is your own. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So, instead of getting too into the parable and trying to sort it out ourselves, I like this kind of parables because Jesus actually volunteers some sort of explanation to what he's just taught. He kind of volunteers a teaching based on the parable is given. So we have loads of stuff to consider here. We have loads of stuff. Back up with me to verse 11, first of all. Um, just in case I miss it along the way. I don't want to miss this. It's highlighted here. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth or unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you with the true riches? Who will entrust the true riches to you? Now, this is a juxtaposition. This is a comparison, okay? So, wealth, material things on one side, what do you think will be on the other side? Spiritual things. If you have not been faithful in material things, who will entrust you with the true riches? Spiritual things. Now, we all want to be very spiritual people, or at least many times we claim to be very spiritual people, especially in our disdain of wealth, Sometimes, or in our handling of material things, sometimes, yet it's saying here, it is your faithfulness in material things that will qualify you for being entrusted with spiritual things. If you can't make your bed, <laughs> you're in trouble. If you can't keep your material stuff together, You limit, let me say, at best, you limit your entrance into spiritual maturity. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Then it says in verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's. Listen, we're still talking about the same thing. Material stuff. He calls the material stuff another's. It's not yours anyway. All the money is not yours anyway. I don't care how smart you've been on the trading internet thing. And you've been scoring really big. And it's not yours. Really, no. And that doesn't mean you should stop working. <laughs> Just because, oh, it's not mine. I, I might as well stop then. No. Because then the previous verse applies to you. You're not faithful in this. The, the true riches cannot come to you. There's no get out clause, baby. This is a roundhouse. You can't get cornered. He says, if you're not faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? 
What is your own are the true riches? If you compare it with the previous verse. So our faithfulness and our correct management of our material possessions, a correct and true and good relationship with material things will foster my entrance into the destiny that God has planned for me, the true riches. Now, don't get this twisted. I'm not going in the, the track of uh, prosperity, super this and that, you know. We can make God twist his arm and bend him over and do all sorts of things to God to make us richer. No. I'm just trying to interpret what's in front of me here. And if you've got a better one, book coffee with me. I'll come all the way from Wales. We'll have coffee together and you can teach me. I mean that because this thing's important to me. I'll go six hours to learn if you really got something to teach me. <laughs> okay, let's look at some other ideas based on this. Go back to my notes. Ultimately, we must employ and invest all of our material possessions, which we're only managers of anyway, to mediate a reconciliation between the Lord and sinners who are his debtors. Remember that parable. The guy says, oh my God, what am I going to do? I can't beg. I'm too old to work. I'm so used to this job. This guy, my master wants to get rid of me. What am I going to do? So he goes to the debtors. His master's debt. Listen, my friends. We are constantly under challenge from the Lord. He that must follow me must carry his cross. We are daily under challenge. Daily the Lord is asking you for a reconciliation of accounts. And the final reconciliation ask can come anytime. Listen, tomorrow is not promised to any of us. I love life, as you can probably tell. I enjoy life, mostly. <laughs> but I'm not ready to go. However, I'm also reconciled to the idea that I may go today. Yeah. I am actually quite reconciled to it. Someone says you're not living by faith. That is faith. We have to use our possessions to mediate a reconciliation between the Lord and the sinners who are his debtors. So the guy says... What am I going to do? So he goes to his master's debtors because he has been challenged about reconciliation and he begins to negotiate with them and he says, you owe 100, make it 50. You owe 100, make it 50. He at least collects 50% of his master's debt. He at least makes these people his master's friends again. Are you with me? Don't get stuck with the debt now. Come, on, come out of the box a little. What do you think the consequence, the ramifications of him negotiating that debt cancellation is going to be? These guys become his master's friends again. So he secures his position, but also makes these guys his master's friends. That's what we do with our position and our material wealth. We make friends for Jesus. Does it not say at the end, make now friends for yourselves with your mammon of unrighteousness so that in the day of the final challenge, when you are removed, when you are metastasized, then they will receive you into eternal habitations. They will clap you in. They will clap you in. They'll say, welcome, Sister Josephine. Welcome. Welcome. You're the one who helped the master forgive half of our debt. You negotiated the forgiveness of our debts. You negotiated the forgiveness of our debts. My friends, when last did you negotiate the forgiveness of somebody's debt with your material possessions? Can you actually say, hand on heart, you have thrown your material possessions at the Great Commission? Because that's where it counts. 
Verse 9 says, make friends with the mammon of unrighteousness. Verse 12, I've already said how I manage my finances and material stuff. What I use it to achieve is a good indication of my faithfulness. It's a good indication of my spirituality. There's no division between money and church. <laughs> People like to bring division between church and state and all sorts of other things. There's no division between material possessions and church. We bring it all. We bring all of ourselves. Verse 13 makes an indication, which is, I find very crucial. It's the only place where anything is directly just opposed with God. It says you cannot worship God and mammon. There's nowhere else that it says you cannot worship God and Satan. Or that sort of comparison. But it brings these two together because material possessions will mess you up. If you let it own you. It will calcify your heart yes. if you let it own you. Yes. And it's not just about the rich here. It's about the poor as well. The poor can be lovers of money just as much as the rich. Yes. The love of money. That is letting material possessions hold you. Have a grip on your heart to the extent that you can't do what you're supposed to do. In the kingdom of God. Serve the kingdom. Serve the Lord with your position. With your material possessions. It says in verse 13. You will either love one and hate the other. You will either be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, by implication. When you're loving and devoted to God you're going to employ material possessions and bring them under him. Amen. Because you can't love both together. That's right. right? So, first step in my, in my talk this morning. All of our material possessions, they're not yours. They belong to God. Everybody has some. The poor and the rich. Remember the widows? The widow's mite story? She had only a mite left. She gave it all. Even the poor can give. Everybody has some. And everybody has a commandment, so to speak. At least an imperative to do something with what they have. And then bring it all together under the kingship and dominion of God. Amen. So that. A, the true riches may be yours. You're a spiritual person who's pursuing spirituality. Bring all your material possessions under the command of God. And I'm going to show you a bit more verses that, that prove that. And secondly, so that when you get upstairs, somebody claps you in and it goes to your account. Do you know we're not all going to be rewarded equally? No. The Bible says that. Heaven is not an egalitarian, you know, like everybody's just, yeah, we're all just high-fiving each other, you know, and we're all the same. No, we're, all, we're, all, we're not all going to be the same. That's Bible. I don't got time this morning to look into that with you. But with the least time I have left, let's move on. You think I'm not all right? You haven't met some of my friends. <laughs> Let's talk about the T word. Yeah, the T word in church. Tithe. <laughs> Let's talk about the tithe. Now, as it happens, now this is the tricky part. I preached the tithe for years. Tell you why in a minute. First, by definition, a tithe is a 10%. Technically, it's 10%. Is that all you really want to do? Absolutely. Yeah. 10%. Okay. 10% is not a bad place to start, actually. You know, when I'm getting a gift from my wife, 
for an occasion, birthday, Easter, Christmas, anniversary, it's usually more than 10% of that month's wage. It really is, usually. So, what do you want to bring that in here for? <laughs> well, it's not a bad place to start, okay? Listen, Abraham and Jacob instinctively, or shall we say spiritually, offered 10% to God. Amen. Fathers of faith, you cannot do anything with those guys. They stand. <laughs> you, you can't, and they were before the law, by the way, before the law. So instinctively, spiritually instinctively, they did something, Amen. which you will begin to do as well the more you bring your finances under control. You will begin to do instinctively more than you thought you could do. So they said, we'll do all this to God. And they're very good examples. So it's a good place to start. And they enjoyed so much of God's fellowship and material blessings. It's a good place to start. The New Testament, however, prescribes generous, sacrificial, and cheerful giving. That's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 are all about. We can't read all of those two chapters this morning and go through them step by step, but that's what they're all about. And Jesus' examples, Mark 12, of the widow's might, suggests that no giving is too much. In fact, if you empty your whole ISA, God will not be upset with you. My key word there is if. I'm not asking you to. Don't nobody go away and say, Femi said, empty my ISA. <laughs> I don't play that. I'm not, I'm not milking it. I'm not trying to milk anybody. Okay? We haven't arranged a fee for today, have we? I didn't come here as a subcontractor. That's not the issue. Jesus indicated that no giving is too much when it comes to him. So, I like to actually scrub the word tithe because technically it means 10%. It also appears in the law which complicates matters. Instituted in the law. Complicates matters. Some of you are hearing this sort of thing for the first time. But we cannot scrub the essence of worshipping God in gratitude. What made Abraham and Jacob offer a tithe? Gratitude. Worship. You can't scrub that. You can argue and debate the tithe all you want. You can't argue and debate worshiping God with your material possessions in gratitude. You can't argue that. And by New Testament standards, it ought to be more than 10%. It ought to be generous. And I'll give you some reasons why. But first, secondly, we should look at how the Old Testament principle of tithing is fulfilled in the New Testament. I said, what takes its place? What takes its place? Much the same way that we consider what takes the place of the blood sacrifice or the other sacrifices, the wave offerings, the ten measures of wheat, the ten, you know, the five pigeons that you have to snap their necks and behead and guts and, you know, all this stuff that went in. What took their places? We have some, uh, Jesus, absolutely. Yeah? We don't come here in robes and smells and bells because some things have taken that place as well. Now, what takes the place of the tithe? You can't just get rid of it. <laughs> it is cheerful, sacrificial, generous giving. Now, if in your book, 10% is generous, you probably need to come and live with us for a while. So what are the New Testament giving principles that's pretty much a responsibility and a demand on the believer much more than their own prerogative? Why do I use this word? Ask my son that. I mean, I choose my words very carefully. And where we can't agree on words, we do what? We check the dictionary, don't we? So... What are the New Testament principles 
that are pretty much a responsibility and a demand. In the same way that the tithe was a responsibility and a demand in the old of the law, much more than a prerogative, which is, uh, I'll do it, you know, today, oh, honey, how much do we have in the kitty? Oh, this, oh, let's just give them that amount. There's some things in the New Testament that you can't do that with or shouldn't do that with. As it happens, many of us, unfortunately, there is a vacuum between our belief systems and our worldview. And that vacuum is infused by popular culture. Say that in proper English. That means some of us just act like the world. We don't really believe the Bible as much as we claim to. We like the Jesus bit and the eternal salvation bit. But the carry your cross and follow me and do as I say bit is a bit sort of, yeah, but that's your interpretation. That's when that comes up, yeah? That's your interpretation when it begins to affect your budget. All right, here's some stuff. Let's look at some stuff. Hey, how you doing, Michael? You're a bit late, mate. I like to mess my friends up. That's one of them. (laughs) Okay. Wages for pastors and teachers in the church. Help me with this, Colin, because going to and fro here can be a bit uh, fraught sometimes. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So, we, we, we don't get to choose if we pay our pastors or teachers. In the New Testament, we don't get to choose. We pay them. We have a duty to pay them. And we should pay them a good wage. Okay? If any of your sons and husbands and wives go to work, any of you go to work, you want a good wage? The pastor should get a good wage. And here's my rule of thumb. If possible, we should aggregate all the wages in this room and take a mean. Or average, okay. We should average all the wages here and it should earn at least the average wage in this house, if not more. There's another rule that some people use, which is, hey, if you have an organization this big that demands this much management on a daily basis, what would they normally pay such a person that manages that organization out there? Now, I've worked corporate for a while. I know a little about wages. The last 10 years have been something else. (laughs) Okay? And even then, I still know I do this job, I get X amount, and I do that job, I get three times as much as that. So I kind of know my worth in terms of my training and my abilities in the marketplace. But let's look at the Bible. That should convince somebody. 2 Corinthians 11, 7 and 8. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 7 and 8. Did I commit sin in humbling myself so that you may be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. This is Paul on one of his rants. (laughs) Okay. And that's when he brings out the the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Exactly how he's feeling about this. He said, what did I do to deserve this bad behavior from you all? Because I preach to you free of charge. Next verse, please. I robbed other churches. By what? Taking wages from them. Wages, not offerings. I took wages. I took. I didn't receive. This is a very intelligent man. He doesn't mix words up. In Philippians, he used to receive. Here, he says, I took. I can imagine, here's Paul saying, pay me. It's like playing Monopoly and you land on my park lane. Pay me. Pay me or fold up. (laughs) Was it that mercenary? I doubt it. But he probably did say, pay me. You, Lord, are paying me. (laughs) I took wages of them. Next one. I know there's a context to it, but context is not so crucial today. And it is okay to use that out of context, all right? Because I know this is a very sound Bible church headed by Pastor Evans here, who I follow a little bit, and I think, whoa, that guy's good. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 
First Corinthians 9 verses 1 to 15. We're going to read this. Uh, let me see if I can actually find that here as well. Because I want to read from... Where are you, baby? New King James, you're using that? Okay. All right, let me use the NASB. I think one or two words may be different. Only one or two. Um, Amer- New American. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am an apostle, are we reading the same thing? First Corinthians. What did I say you should put up? Okay. Uh, wait, I need, I need First Corinthians, sorry, not second. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 9. Yeah, thank you. It's a way of sensing when people are reading something different to what you're reading. You kind of think, nah, we're reading two different things. Okay, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am an apostle, at least I'm not an apostle. At least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? And he's not talking about... <laughs> you know, anywhere, anytime. He's talking about that church. At your expense. That's what he's saying. It's the only way it makes sense. It's the only, or otherwise, you'd be saying apostles should not eat or drink. <laughs> and we know that's not true. They, they need to eat and drink, right? Okay. So, it's at their expense he's talking about. Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So, here's what would happen. Peter and co., when they traveled on their apostolic uh, ministry and travels, they didn't go alone. They went with a team. They took wife and team with them. And the churches paid for it. That's the point of this passage. And they were trying to basically do Paul out of his money. Don't be all so spiritual about this. The guy had to live. <laughs> he said, don't we have the right to all this? Or do only Barnabas and I have not the right to refrain from working? Again, most of the apostles obviously stopped working. Normal secular jobs. And were earning wages. Only Paul and Barnabas were doing work to, to, to support themselves. So he's bringing this out. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? He makes an argument for living at the expense of the church. You cannot get away from this. Verse 8, I am not speaking to those things. I, I, I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? See, at that time, the New Testament wasn't written. So he had to appeal to the law and interpret it to them. And here it is, verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sold spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things? Rhetoric question. You don't have to answer it. The answer is it's not. If we're teaching you spiritual things, you ought to be filling our cupboards with food. These guys should never want. When we first got to Kingsmore Church, what it was called, so I'm going to use this example for those who were there then. I know Sister Hortens was, and a few others, Val, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, 1989, December was the first attempt. Then we came back January 1990. Cozy little church. Brilliant. But it didn't take long for us, and Rob wouldn't mind me sharing this, it didn't take long for us to realize that Rob was basically living off whatever they gave him. 
there was no uh, warranty that he was going to earn a wage next month. I won't go into all the details of that, but I'm sorry, but that's just wrong. The man of God should not have to hustle. I'm not saying he shouldn't have to do any other work from here because many of us do. And we do because like Paul, we feel it necessary to do so. Not because we don't have the right to eat from the house. I I work. I work hard. (laughs) I work hard. Some weeks I'm knackered. And because I I don't sleep easy, quickly as well, and then I'm up till like two before I can finally sleep, and I'm bushed. I'm thinking, Jesus, thank you for the work, for the income from it, and we'll give it back to you. Because that's what we said we'll do, right? Yeah. <laughs> give it back to him. Okay, let's make some progress. Right. First Timothy chapter 5, two verses, 17 and 18. I'd like to make this case. Because it is unambiguous, unequivocal, and it is not left to your prerogative. We have to do this. Okay, First Timothy 5, if we sowed, no, that's still correct. You're trying to trick me? First Timothy 5, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Next verse. Verse 18, please. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Just in case you thought verse 17 was talking of honor in terms of giving them, you know, sports achievements. You know, we'll just give him a medal. Well done, pastor. Well done. You did well this year. Well done. Verse 18 clarifies what honor means in this context. Wages. You can't muzzle the ox. So we've made a case for teachers and pastors in the church to survive off the income of that church. Okay? We've made a case. Let's move on. There are are other verses, but I need to say some other things. Okay, so that's number one. That's not left to our prerogative in the New Testament. Okay? Right, I will make some ground now quickly. Benevolence and alms, I put in brackets, and the eradication of poverty from the church. This is the second thing that is not left to your prerogative. We have to do this too, okay? We should be doing it. Right. We see the ministry of the church to famine victims or natural disaster victims in uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9. That was Paul really raising funds from church to church to support these fellow believers who um, natural disasters had overtaken them. And these things come, okay? In fact, there's a verse in there that says that I am not doing this so that they, they may have an easy time, but I'm doing this so that you can have something in place for the time when you're in trouble as well. Yes. It doesn't say <laughs> maybe when you're in trouble. So the, the sort of prosperity teachers miss that. They kind of skip that. Yeah, yeah. They skip the, the affirmative tense that says, this most likely will happen to you too somewhere along the line. You will fall on hard times. If you're living like a Christian. True. Right? Because if you're not, you could probably go right through it without any hard times. Probably, I use again cautiously. Okay, so we see this. Um, we've got to read at least some of this. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16, um, 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 16. I want us to do look at this 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 ones, so that you can all say you you read it from your own Bible. 
Okay, 1 Corinthians 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Direction here, not as I advised them, as I directed them. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that the connections may be made when I come. All right? So he's saying, as God has prospered everybody, every week, you ought to be putting something aside for those who are worse off than you. It's one of the things we all need to teach our children, by the way. So that even with their pocket money, they can learn to put a little aside for somebody worse off than them. Let them have an orphan to support with their, I don't know, 50p, one pound, 150. Maybe think about how much everything costs, even for kids these days, even toys. They can definitely do a bit of that. Right? So um, let's look at another one here. Um, sorry, I do want to round up. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I just want to pick a couple of verses from there. Okay, now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given to the churches in Macedonia. It describes this thing as a grace of God. Okay, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty, deep poverty, deep poverty overflowed in the wells, wells of their liberality. You're never too poor to support somebody else. Yeah, for I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we expected, but the first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. I can imagine this guy saying, take it, Paul, take it, take it all. And Paul's going, no, you guys need to eat next week. And they say, wait God will do that. Take it. Take it. This guy's needed more than us. And they said, what more do you want us to do? Because they gave themselves to God and then gave themselves to us. Take it all. What else do you want us to do? We'll dig. We'll build. We'll come with you. Yeah, we'll come with you. <laughs> so, again, giving to the poor, rescuing our brethren from difficulties is... It's something we must do, okay? Now, the third thing. Read the rest of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, verse 12 says, uh, verse, sorry, verse 9 says, as you have purposed in your heart. So there's something about moving with God. Let the Holy Spirit move your heart. Okay, we see in Acts chapter 2, uh, 45, you add that to Acts chapter 4, 34 to 37, eradication of poverty. The church, the early church, actually eradicated poverty from amongst themselves. The Bible says, and there was no longer any poor amongst them. Listen now, we're talking about in the church though. I know some of us are very keen and eager and we do chocolate runs and we go and house the homeless at Christmas and all this and we want to spread all our giving so thin. Look, look it's laudable, it's commendable. But from what I can see from New Testament, our first priority is to the church. It's to the church. In fact, even where Jesus said in the Gospels that uh, you, have, uh, you visited me in prison, you gave me water when I was uh, thirsty, when you did all this, and they said, when did we do all that? And he said, as much as you've done it to any of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. It doesn't mean just any, any, anybody. We fix the church first. This is the house of grace. And when we fix the church, the people see how well the church is doing. And they see that none of you ever sleep on the street. None of you ever go hungry. That testimony flows from work, workplace to workplace to workplace. And you see, they see it. They see that the light is shining in the church. And they are drawn to the church. They won't see that much when we're all playing Street pastors. I'm sorry if that, that offends somebody, but it's, it's a good thing to an extent. It's a discipline. But the church needs to be coordinating its own efforts and doing things in here first and sorting things here first. Then together, 
we reach out when we're all being fixed. But you, 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 you are going to be part of that solution. Now, moving on very quickly, there's another aspect. So we've talked about three aspects there. No, there's this aspect. This is the third one. Missionary ministry. Sorry, Pastor. I'll, I'll finish in 10 minutes. Yes, I will. I'm moving away so he can't look at me. <laughs> They're making faces at me. So distracting, isn't it? What's your name? Yes, you. Prince. I bet you're going to say you're a prince from Africa as well, aren't you? Prince, it's, it's a bit, yeah, it's disconcerting when somebody keeps looking at you, isn't it? When you're trying to do your homework and mom keeps looking at it, you, two plus two becomes five. Missionary ministry. In Luke chapter 8, we see, we see uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, um, uh, an outline of the people that followed Jesus everywhere and supporting his ministry financially. Okay? They just went with him and supported his ministry financially. Financially. So there's, that's a missionary ministry. Okay? Again, we see in Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 4. How many of you have ever said, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? You've probably quoted it one day or another. It has to do with those who support the missionary ministry. Okay, let's have a quick look at it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 19, please. Philippians chapter 4. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Go on. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in your affliction, in my affliction, sorry. It's going through a tough time. You put yourselves... You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, mission, after I left Macedonia, no church communicate, uh, shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Now, many of us like to talk about the giving and receiving, but we forget about, actually, what the point is. The point is not so that you can be better off. The point is so that the gospel can be preached. That's why we give. <laughs> do your part. Let God do his part. Just stop trying to corner him. It doesn't work like that. For even in Thessalonica, you said to give more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. You see, hang on, that is going to happen. You don't have to make that happen. That is a normal, natural consequence of your behavior. That will happen. That is profit which increases to your account. And that profit is not necessarily on earth. Remember at the beginning, right? So that when you are removed and then the true riches, it's not necessarily material stuff. And you, sometimes we can't just join the dots. Sometimes we can't. Listen, here's my son here. I, I will pitch him against any other child his age any day. And it's, we worked hard on him, fair play. But the grace of God, you can't always join the dots about what you've done and what it does for you. But when we always try to force it and funnel it on, Funnel the result into just one thing. We miss it. Do what God says you should do and let him do what he does. Sorry. 
But I have received everything in full and I am in abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. So missionary giving is another that we don't leave to our prerogative. We've got to do it. It sort of goes along with, um, with teaching, with, with pastors and teachers as well, doesn't it? Okay, now, I'm going to round up, I promise. Here we go. So here is the bit that is not so clear in New Testament. We've talked about wages. We've talked about benevolence, eradication of poverty, ministering to saints in hardship. We've talked about missionary ministry. Here's the bit that is not so clear in the New Testament. Support of the ministry infrastructure and projects. Like, for instance, building this property. The New Testament says nothing about how we should build properties together. They didn't have any. They were exiles from the synagogues. They met from house to house. And some people are proposing now that we should all go back to house to house. I say that is uh, not reasonable. It doesn't work very well. Except you've got a big living room. That's why we all get together. So I say... Now, I believe this should be according to the needs of that ministry as agreed by the congregation, if it's congregational, or by the leadership, if it's presbytery-led, or by the visionary leader or man of God, or whatever kind of system they have in place dealing with such matters. Treat it at the very least like a club. You don't get to be in the average club for free. Even your golf club, you've got to pay membership fees. Right? Your fishing club, you've got to buy your license. Hunting club, all these clubs, even football club. Oh, we're trying to help the kids pay us. There's no club you don't pay. At the very least, treat it like a club. Don't come here for free. And don't throw your change in the offering. Please. That's not a goal at those who are poor. Because if the poor throws their money in the offering, it's usually all they've got. <laughs> now, I do end with this. There is a promise of multiplied return and increased blessings to those who give. There is no doubt about that in the scriptures. We've majored, well, not we, because I don't know what goes on here that much. But people have majored on that too much. So I'm not going to go there so much. But I do want to leave that with you. God will do what he does. And remember, he's not a debtor. He doesn't owe any man. In fact, there is hardly any New Testament passage on giving that doesn't also speak about receiving. This promise or incentive may have been abused by some. However, we will not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We won't swing to the other extreme. We won't deny it. So I'll finish strongly and joyfully by encouraging you to generously and cheerfully and faithfully and sometimes sacrificially give because you are worshiping God. Because you love him. Because you are devoted to him. Because you are devoted to his cause. Because you want to see his kingdom come. You want to see his will be done. Because you are a co-laborer with him. And God is able. To do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think of him. He's also able, when you give cheerfully and generously, to make all favor and earthly blessings come to you in abundance. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Come to you in abundance that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may be able to abound unto every good work and generous giving. He will multiply your seed sown. He will increase the fruits of your righteousness. He gives bread for your food and seed for your sowing. Amen. 
And the more you do, the more thanksgiving redounds to him and glory comes to him. And remember, we have been created for the praise of his glory. Haven't we? Bless God. I said bless God. Bless God. Well, pray with me this morning. Oh, mahe hilahi savati. Prenihi klingata savati. Neye repe site ribari sati. Nandrahi bahe lohumbada. Jrahim vretiskita. Nehi, the Lord gave me an insight just before I came. And I had this insight, and it's coming, it's coming back now. About somebody, somebody here. But just before I hand over to pastors, just one word. There's somebody here that's beginning to do quite well. It's beginning to do quite, it's a he, yes. A he, an adult male. Beginning to do quite well in their, in their material possessions. Things are moving. Things are coming up. Things are doing, you're probably sensing it in your spirit right now. I have a caution for you from the Lord. He says, do not forget him. Do not forget the house of the Lord either. Do not forget, as things are getting better and better, don't forget him. And don't forget the house of the Lord. Because shipwreck will come otherwise. I'm not a prophet. Talk less of a prophet of doom. But the Lord is cautioning somebody here only because he loves you. He is the reason for your prosperity. And he says, don't forget him. Don't forget the house of God. Or else shipwreck comes thereafter. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, I thank you for this opportunity to talk to your people. Sorry I've taken so much time. And um, I just, I just want to give them over to you. I just want to say, oh Lord, wherever I've missed it, make up for it. Wherever it's been on point, Lord, please engraft it in your people's souls. Father God, help us to produce good fruit from this word. Lord, I, I, I commend your people to you. In the name, in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Man, God bless you real good. It's been a joy talking to you. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you.